I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, the very uh, closing verses of the chapter, verses 46 through 50 will be our text for this morning. We're coming to the end of a collection of narratives, as you may recall, uh, in this section of Matthew. Remember, Matthew has divided his, his gospel. He's structured it around five major teaching sections that Jesus gives, and in between we have these narratives, which, of course, not only uh, include Jesus' deeds, but also his words, so we have his teaching even in these sections. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the last part of uh, this narrative collection before uh, the next teaching session uh, that Jesus gives in chapter 13. We're going to uh, see a particular theme uh, here that will be noticeable to you right away. And it's going to bring up, uh, bring to your minds the topic of family. Now, what do you think when you think of family? There's a word that uh, really brings up a lot of mixed emotions, doesn't it? I mean, on the one hand, uh, that term family can, can bring, it, bring many feelings of, of warmth and happiness. Uh, we can think of, of people who, who mean a great deal to us. Uh, who we love like we love ourselves. Uh, we, we can think of uh, perhaps uh, happy times together and in anticipation of Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, think back to happy times in the past perhaps. Anticipate a good time with family in the future. Uh, but you know as well as I that family isn't always, isn't always a happy word, is it? Uh, family also can, can bring to mind heartache and trouble. Uh, can bring up estrangement. Can bring feelings of abandonment. Can bring feelings of guilt and shame. You know, we're, we're, we're a bag of mixed emotions when it comes to family, aren't we? Well, Jesus is going to address this topic. And he's going to address it in a way that we would never have anticipated. Uh, so I, I want you to, I want you to, to in a sense, sort of, sort of try to, try to clear your mind in a sense to hear, hear a, a very different slant on family than is typically common for us as human beings. Okay, Jesus is going to say some things here which I think are, uh, are incredible, and which have. Well, they have the power to change your life. They're, they're that, that significant. So let's uh, humble ourselves before the word of the Lord and ask him to do that transforming work in our minds and hearts today. Here's the word of the Lord to us. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother... And his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother 
and sister and mother. Jesus had a natural family. Jesus had an earthly family here. Uh, the scripture is very plain about that. This is an aspect of his full humanity. Okay, he is fully human. It's a part of his experience as a complete human being is he had a family. Uh, true, he, he was the son of God as well as the son of man. And so in a sense, we could say he didn't have an earthly father, but he had an earthly mother. He had earthly brothers and sisters. Plain reading of the text is that Mary and Joseph had a normal marriage, and that they had other children, and so Jesus had siblings. In fact, uh, perhaps this would be a good, good point to, to uh, mention that in Greek, the, the word that's translated brothers in my text actually can be read and often should be read as inclusive of brothers and sisters. Okay, the, the Greek uses the third person plural masculine to embrace groups that were made up of both men and women. Okay, so it would be it could be perfectly just to translate this, his mother and his brothers and sisters, or his mother and his siblings. And in fact, we could, there's a number of places, there's a whole lot of places where this term is used that I could take you to that would show that it has to be, has to be men and women that are indicated by this word. So, so keep that in mind as we go through this text. But he had a natural family. This is an aspect of his full humanity, and of course, as in every aspect of his humanity, he fulfilled perfectly the righteousness of God as a member of that family. Okay, he, he, he perfectly fulfilled the fourth commandment to honor his parents. Uh, he, he perfectly fulfilled the expectation that that we have as members of a family to help provide for that family. In fact, remember, you know, he's 30 years old when he, about 30 when he starts his public ministry. Well, what's he doing for all his life up until that time? Probably from the age of 12 all the way to 30, he's working to support his family. He's working with his hands. He's a manual labor. He perfectly fulfilled what the Lord expects of people who are, who are family members. But of course, uh, of course, families are not perfect, okay? And, and his family wasn't perfect. And his family misunderstood him and disbelieved him. In fact, Mark tells us, and it looks like it's in connection with this instance uh, his family really thought he was mentally unstable. And they were coming to get him, bring him home, straighten him out. Well, Jesus uses this opportunity not, not, to, not to diss on his family, okay? Not to disregard his family, not to insult them. Okay, don't, don't read this passage like that, okay? Jesus is not being critical of his family when he raises this question, when he says, who is my mother and who are my siblings? Okay, don't take that to mean that he's 
that he's rejecting his family. He's not. He, he will care for his family all the way till he dies. One of the last things he does while he's dying on the cross is to provide for his mother. Okay, he makes sure that she has somebody to take care of her. So he's not in any way impugning his family. And in fact, some of them, a number of them are going to come to faith after his death and resurrection. And his brothers and sisters will be among the early church. So don't take this that way. Okay, take this as Jesus raising your understanding of what family is. Okay, he wants to, he wants to lift it up. God in Christ is calling you into an eternal spiritual family. That's what he's doing here. He's not telling you to be a bad son, a bad daughter. You know, to, he, he's, not, he's not calling you to any of that. But he's saying, I want you to realize that there is something higher to which I'm calling you. Who is my mother? Who are my siblings? Here they are. Here is my family. And he's calling you into his family. His family. Let, let that soak in for a minute, okay? He's calling you into the most exalted family possible. You know, people on this earth talk about being of the right family or, you know, this being of a distinguished family. Listen, that, that's nothing compared to what Jesus is calling you into here. He is calling you into his family, God's family. That, that, that's, that's got to be amazing. It's got to be amazing. I, I, hope you, I hope you hear that call. I hope you... I hope you understand the incredible blessing this is by the time you finish thinking about this passage. What does it mean to be a member of the family of God? What's the sign of this? You know, some families have coats of arms, even, you know. Some families are known for this or that or the other thing. What's the distinguishing mark for the family of God? Jesus tells us, doesn't he? I'm sure you're ahead of me here already. He tells us. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The distinguishing mark of the family of God is doing the will of God. And of course, Jesus is the perfect model of this, isn't he? You read through his life, he is continually, always, doing nothing else but the will of his Father. Okay. If you're a member of the family of God, you do your Father's will. He's the head of the family. And you're his child. And you delight to do his will. Because he delights in you. When you delight to do his will. Well, what's God's will for you? 
That's very plain, actually. Now, I know, and you raise up the question of will, you know, we think about, well, you know, what job should I have? Where should I live? When should I do this or that or the other thing? Should I marry? Don't think of God's will in those terms, okay? You are not to try to discern the hidden will of God, his ultimate providential will that works out everything in your life. You're not called to read God's mind and figure out what he has planned for you. Okay, so just, just stop doing that. Okay. But you are called to do God's will. And he's very plainly told you what it is. Let's look at a few passages that tell you. You could go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 29. You can jot down these texts as we go if you want. John 6, 25 to 29. This comes right after Jesus has performed a miracle feeding 5,000, and the crowds love it. And so they come looking for him, because who doesn't want a free lunch? Who doesn't want to sit back and do nothing and have everything given to them? And Jesus rebukes them for that. Says, don't seek after this. Don't seek for earthly satisfaction that's gonna it's gonna be gone before you know it. Okay. Instead, instead search for the food that endures to eternal life. And so the crowd says, Well, what are you talking about? What are we supposed to do? And here's the answer, verse 29. This is the work of God, will of God, in other words. This is what God wills for you to do. This is the work he's given you to do, you ready? That you believe in him who he has sent. First on your agenda for doing the will of God is faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where you begin. If you don't begin there, you're not, in, not doing God's will. Okay, so if you haven't gotten to that point, if you haven't gotten to that point of surrendering your will to his, and putting your faith in Christ alone, do that now. Don't even listen to anything else I'm saying. Deal with the Lord right now in your heart and ask him, ask him to give you the gift of faith, faith in him, because that's where you start doing his will. By trusting him. But of course, that's just the beginning. And if you've already done that and you're still listening to me, you can think about Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. That pivotal point in the book of Romans, Romans 12, right after beautiful exposition of, of Christian teaching that Paul has given and he's introducing a wonderful exposition of uh, what that teaching looks like lived out. He says these words at the beginning of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
What's the will of God for you as a believer, as a sinner who has repented and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? The will of God for you is to present your body a living sacrifice. And, and don't, don't over-spiritualize that. He's saying, use your body in a way that honors God. I think we're supposed to read it that literally. Where you walk, what you say, what you do with your hands. Present your body a living sacrifice. Offer it up every day to God. That's what he's saying. That's the will of God for you. He cares about what you do with your body. He loves you. So he cares what you say. He cares what you do. A loving Heavenly Father cares about what you do with your body. Present it as a living sacrifice. And, and notice, we're going to come back to this later, but, but notice that the work that God does in you as you do this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you catch, the do you catch that verb? It's a passive verb. It's not active. He doesn't say, transform yourself. As you present your body as a living sacrifice, you will be transformed. He will renew your mind. He will make your mind alive in a way that it hasn't been before. You'll be able to think thoughts you didn't think before. You'll be able to You'll be able to understand things you didn't understand before. And you'll be able to then begin to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, perfect. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You could go to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 to 21. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, we learn that the will of God for us is to build up other members of our spiritual family. Okay, listen to this. In the middle of those verses, I'm going to have to just cut out some of these as we go along for the sake of time, but... But look at the middle of that passage there, about verse 19. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You have to do the will of God by singing when you come to worship. You're singing to one another, in a sense. You notice that? I, I love to hear this congregation sing. It's far different than singing on my own. <laughs> and that's because something spiritual is happening here. Okay? We're, we're singing to one another as well as to the Lord. We're reminding one another of these wonderful truths that we that we have as believers. 
I hope you heard that word that was sung earlier. Be not afraid. We're singing to you. And so you have the opportunity to sing to one another, to build one another up in the faith. Not just that, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. will of God for you is that you submit to one another. Boy, you don't like that word, do we? <laughs> Submission. Oh, nobody likes that word anymore. It's the will of God for you. Do you submit to your Christian brothers and sisters? Do you keep them at arm's length? You don't really want to get to know them too well because they might ask you to do something. And who are they that you should submit to them anyway? What do they know? Well, they're the body of Christ, and the Lord says you're supposed to submit to them. Now, don't read my words there that I'm saying, you know, make a God out of other people. You know that's not what I'm saying. But when the Lord speaks to you through another believer, you ought to listen. You ought not to be so proud that you won't hear and submit. And God speaks to you through your brother or sister in the Lord. Well, we can go beyond that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9 tells us, Do the will of the Lord on the job, in the factory, on the farm, in the household, even if you're a slave. And none of you have to do that. You're not slaves. Paul says, even if you're a slave, do the will of God by obeying your master. Now, you don't have it that hard. You're not a slave that has to submit to a master the way Paul is talking about. So it should be easy for you. <laughs> of course, it's not going to be easy. But submit to those who are in authority over you, even in the workplace. How are you going to do that? What if they're a lousy boss? What if they're lazy? Some of you know what it's like to work in a workplace where other people are not pulling their weight. Supervisors expect too much of you. How are you supposed to deal with that? He says, he tells you there in Ephesians chapter 6. Go back and read it later. Obey those who are in authority over you as unto Christ. As unto Christ. That, that difficult place where you have to work, and that may be your home at times. Ask Christ to help you work for him in that place. Say, Lord, you know how hard this is. You know how difficult this is. You know how overwhelmed I feel. 
let me work for you today. Let me see you beyond and above my circumstances. Let me labor for you. Do the will of God that way. Do the will of God like in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. And then uh, down in chapter 4, verse 12. Do the will of God by praying for your spiritual family and for yourself. Don't forget, you do the will of God by praying for your spiritual family. They need your prayers. Every person in this room who's a believer needs your prayers if you're a believer. Needs your prayers. You have no idea the burden some other believer in this room might be carrying. You need to help carry that burden. Pray. Pray for your fellow believers. Paul says in Colossians 14 that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I love that. Epaphras, struggling in his prayers. Paul saw him so earnest in his prayers for his fellow believers. He was struggling on their behalf. Well, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first eight verses. Don't leave this out when you're thinking about doing the will of God as a member of his family. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. The will of God for you is nothing less than holiness. Doing the will of God, being a member of his spiritual family, is to be called to holiness. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your being made holy. Holiness isn't like an elective credit you sign up for in the Christian life. It's a core subject. To do God's will, to be a member of his family, is to seek for holiness. To believe that you are called to sanctification. One more passage. Doing God's will. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. And then 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. I won't take time to read those, but just sum them up. To do God's will is to witness simply by doing good in the face of opposition. You live in a fallen world. You are surrounded by foolish, ignorant people. That's what Peter says in the text. What do you do? Do you berate them for their ignorance? Do you talk about the, how foolish they are? Peter says no. You do good in front of them. That's what you do. You do good. You live a holy life. And by doing good, even, he says, 
if you're persecuted. Even if you're persecuted. Do good, and you'll be a witness that will ultimately silence the enemies. Now, you should be feeling spiritually overwhelmed at this point. <laughs> I hope you've, you've seen the height of your calling. What you're called to, if you're a Jesus brother, sister, and mother. But I want you to know that Scripture also says you are enabled to do this. You as sinners are enabled to do the will of your Heavenly Father because God the Father has loved you. He has chosen you as His children in Jesus Christ. Hold on to that fact. Okay? You're able to do the will of your Heavenly Father because He has loved you, choosing you as His children in Jesus Christ. You're able to do the will of God because God the Son has loved you. Fulfilling His Father's will and suffering for your sin, He has done those things in your place. He has taken the wrath. He has attained the righteousness so that you and be enabled to do your Father's will. And you are enabled to do the will of your Heavenly Father because God the Spirit has loved you and made you spiritually alive. There's something in you that hears God's Word and, well, you hear it and you want to do it. Not that you're perfect at it, but, but there's something in you that wants to do God's will and, and even when even when you you find your your own motivation lagging and I, I had a dear college professor Bible teacher most humble guy and, and somebody asked him well what do you do when you don't really want the, want the will of God it looks too hard you're having a bad day you don't really want it And he said, boy, you can pray and say, God, I want to want your will. I'm not wanting it right now, but I want it. I want to want your will. That's the Holy Spirit in you as well. God's will, God's will ultimately grows out of his love for you, doesn't it? God's will is that you love as he has loved you. You love God, then you love his children. You love God as you love his children, your spiritual family in Christ, the church. They're the visible recipients. Sometimes it's hard to think about loving God, right? He's a spirit. He's not here. Well, you've got flesh and blood right here. You've got people who are right here that you can love on, okay? You love Christ as you love those for whom he died. Hey, and remember, some of those may be enemies now. Okay. But you love 
your enemies as well, because who knows, they may be your brothers and sisters in Christ down the road. You love the Holy Spirit by receiving the love that he pours into your hearts. And then pouring that into somebody else's heart as well. In fact, I can say on the authority of scripture and many scriptures, not just the ones I'm about to name. That God has willed to do all this in you. You catch that? doesn't depend on you. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying we have no confidence in ourselves. I could have a lot of confidence, he goes on to say, as a, as a Jew, as, you know, I was really religious, I was really striving after God, etc., etc., but I put no confidence in that. So don't put any confidence in your own strength, but put all of your confidence in the promise of God. Here is just one example of many that I could give you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You hear that? May the God of peace sanctify you completely. He does this in you. Don't depend on your own strength. Depend upon him. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, that's like he's saying, every bit of you, okay, that every bit of you may be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day, God will present you to himself and he will say, here, here is my perfect family. Blameless. I've sanctified them. He who calls you is faithful. And memorize this. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what an incredible, what an incredible calling is ours to be your family, to be your people, to be your brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we confess that we confess that we have difficulty sometimes even thinking of ourselves this way. And difficulty thinking of others this way as well. So we pray, Lord, for you, the continued work of your grace. We want to want your will. We desire to, to love you and to love one another. So we pray that you would enable us to do that, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray.